Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. All right, rolling along, Greeny with you, presented by Progressive Insurance Live at the Seaport, brought to you by Patron. Perfection starts with Patron. Still nothing from Chris Russo. That's not a surprise. I'm better off sending a carrier pigeon to try and find him and get information, but we'll see if he wants to weigh in on the saddest debate in the history of Sports Talk Radio in 2023. Hembo and I spent 10 minutes arguing over who is a greater second baseman, Chase Utley or Nellie Fox, because we are literally the only two people alive on planet Earth today who care about the answer. What about Nap Lazuri? Oh, don't start with Nap uh, Lazuri. He has with become me. A, a, That's my boy. <laughs> Nap Lazuri is my boy. I've never seen him make that face. He, he brought up Nap Lazuri in casual conversation about two weeks ago <laughs> on the show. One does. As, As one 1901 does. His 1901 season is the stuff of legend <laughs> in the American League. People... He was a dated reference in 1923. Forget about 2023. <laughs> Hembo, essentially, if you played into the last century, you're a dated reference. Mm-hmm. He, he likes them from the 1800s. I prefer the dead ball player, uh, players. That's my period. That's my milieu. Obviously, Wendy, the best when it comes to all the hoops and everything, and we're going to dive into the whole start of the NBA season. But I am interested to hear your position, or just a quick thought from you if I could. Anyone who doesn't know Wendy, you may not know, is as good a sports fan as you will ever come across, loves the golf, into the football, into everything. And we just went through sort of the allegations against the Michigan football program. Now, I'm on record as saying, I can't believe these things are against the rules because these signs are just out there for the entire world to see in pro football, college football, whatever it is. You're, you're, you're basically saying that if you videotape something that is in full view of tens of thousands of people as the entire game goes on, that that becomes against the rules. I don't fully understand that. That said, clearly it is a big deal. Everyone inside the football world thinks it's a big deal. And Hembo sort of voiced something that I've been thinking, which is this is going to get ugly. Like this is going to, this is going to, when it ever settles down, and I don't know that the investigation will be completed before this season ends. So it may not impact Michigan getting to the championship or anything like that this year. But it... It feels like it's going to become one of these things that brings a program down. That just feels like the direction it's heading and whatever the fallout of that is. Now, I do happen to know where you are from, (laughs) Wendy, because you grew up covering LeBron James and have been around him since he was in high school, which would suggest to me that scarlet may be one of your favorite colors. So I just wanted to get a quick take from you. on. There's only two things I'm truly a fan of, and that is PGA Tour, pro golf, Mm -hmm. and Ohio State football. So... It was very disappointing to me the last couple of years that Michigan has kicked Ohio State's backside on the lines. And when this came out a couple of days ago, I was like, oh, the NCAA is going to be so mad at this that they'll do nothing in three years instead of nothing in two, like mm-hmm. normal. And then I was like, well, <laughs> did the sign stealing prevent them from blocking Aiden Hutchinson? Because that's why they lost two years ago. But in the last couple of days, as the Internet sleuths have gotten going and they're zooming in on photos from the Ohio State game and – the, the, you know, the, 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 the assistant in question is standing next to the defensive coordinator on defense and next to the offensive coordinator on offense, and it looks like they're holding signs up that look like they have hand signals. And I will say that for a while, Michigan kicked Ohio State's backside in the trenches handily the last two years. There were times where Ohio State was just deep pants strategically, where you're like, what are they doing? Like, how are they getting caught I mean, Ryan Day has been flambayed for being outcoached the last couple of years in that game. And I was talking to somebody this morning whose opinion I really respect, and I made my Aiden Hutchinson line, and he goes, yeah, well, Aiden Hutchinson's a beast, but he's really a beast when he knows it's a pass. 
or he knows it's a run. Mm. So I'm trying to take the moral high ground here and say that the game is decided on the field. But the evidence is popping up that is giving me a little bit of a stomach and a feel in such a way. It feels very 2017 yeah. astros in hindsight. It really does. I mean, in those two games, um, Michigan was outscored by Ohio State by two points in the first half. And Michigan was plus 39 in the second half. That's a pretty big swing when you consider the fact that, well, we know now what we know now. Help me with that. So you're saying that this would have been more advantageous in the second half than the first half because? Because you have this methodology of collecting signs in real time, and by the time you get to halftime, you've decoded everything and figured it out. It's like like these Astros games in 2017, they decode the signs, they start banging trash cans. All of a sudden, these guys, especially at home, start to Yeah, but in this case, they're saying and, they pre-decoded the well, signs. Well, sure. That's what I'm asking is, was it the stuff that was done before the games even started? Well, yes. The answer is yes to both. I mean, this is not just stuff that's happening in advance, though, from my understanding. Like, this is going to wind up being, like, a, a pretty wide net that's cast. I think we're going to find that. I, I think it's very likely that we find that this, is, this goes really, really deep, inclusive of uh, being able to turn stuff around during games. I really do. I'm sure it is. I'm not questioning that. Here, here's what I will say. In baseball, you're not allowed to use video equipment. And I understand that because in baseball – you are making every effort that is possible to hide your signals. The catcher is holding it down here, and the batter cannot see it. So if, you are, if, if someone is illegally videotaping that and getting a message to the batter, I fully understand why that's against the rule. If, the guy standing on sec- if a runner standing on second base sees it, that's totally different. In football, these signs are just out there in front of the entire world to see. Most of the time in college football, from what I can tell, they're just holding up large placards with like four pictures on them. I said the other day, Wendy, like Northwestern played a game one time where one of the pictures was me. And I was like, what's my play? <laughs> what are they running? It was like me, Rachel Nichols, Michael Wilbon, and, and like Dave Revson. I forget, like four, like, you know, Northwestern sports media types. And, and I was like, well, I hope we scored a touchdown That's a quarterback, on quarterback, Neil. <laughs> but but, my, but, but the point I'm making is, like, anyone can see that. So what is it <coughs> that they're doing that is hidden that anyone can't just see? What am I missing? Well, there's, you also see, like, the, the, uh, every team has, like, three or four different guys in the sideline wearing, like, bright-colored stuff, doing all the fake stuff in order to, ma- like, in order to mask the signs. Uh-huh. The huge difference here between college and pro, and this is the most important distinction, is that the NFL has the helmet technology. And so that none of this really matters. That's why these rules are in place in college, because it can be an enormous advantage if you can actually pull this off, because the signaling is everything. And from my understanding, this is something that teams do not do, at least not to this extent. And that's why everyone well, is so outraged thing. about Ohio it. State, the way Ohio State plays, I know this is not unique. When their offense sets up, they look at the formation and then they signal in the play. Right. They change the play after the offense sets up. So... Against a team like Ohio State, knowing the signals has even a bigger advantage. In general, I'm a purist. I don't want to believe that sign stealing has anything to do with getting your butt kicked on the offensive line because that's what happened in these last two games. Then why do it? Obviously, there's a reason. Another thing is that the intricacy of this appears to be organized in such a way that they're not going to be able to say this is a rogue assistant coach trying to get ahead. The other thing is he makes fifty grand a year, and it looks like he's spending tens of thousands of dollars on tickets and expenses. There's a paper trail for that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll see what happens. This is going to get ugly. Really ugly. This is going to be a thing. And, and it could have any number of um, 
repercussions in, up to and including the possibility that everything Michigan has done the last few years becomes invalidated. I don't care about that, by the way. They beat Ohio State those two years. They can vacate that. I, I get they it, beat but them. it would feel different. I mean, like Maybe. the Astros beating the Yankees in the in the ALCS that year feels different now. You still reference Jose Altuve now in talking yeah, about yeah. it, right? It, we it talked about this last him. week. And I, I wonder if it will mean that Harbaugh winds up in the NFL. This means J.J. McCarthy's Heisman Trophy this year will not count. It will be vacated, just like Reggie Bush's. Yeah, he'll That's have what's to give happen. it back. Well, he's uh, going to finish oh, second to Marvin oh, Harrison. Hold on, stand by. Breaking news. We have breaking news. I have heard back from Chris Russo. I have a text from Chris Russo. I sent it at 10.36 a.m. It was read at 11.01 a.m. So within 25 minutes. Now, Hembo, don't make that face. So I wrote Chris Russo the following, literally, Wendy, you will love this. The last time Russo and I texted was in May, and he sent me a picture of Steph Curry and wrote under it, he's no Larry Bird. That's the last conversation that we had via text. So today, I can verify that that is accurate. That he that's just how that. men talk, that's too, how, by the way. That's how Mad Dog talks. So today, with no context whatsoever, at 1036, I wrote to him, who is a greater player, <coughs> Nellie Fox or Chase Utley? He wrote back, that's a good one, <laughs> which is hilarious because no, it's not. <laughs> and then he wrote, probably Utley, more power. Yes! You just made Hembo's day. Oh, Let's my go. Goodness. So, yes, I mean, Nelly Fox shocking. in his legendary career in which he made 15 All-Star games, which is super meaningful in the 40s and 50s, he had 35 career it home It was runs. incredibly meaningful. What, what, at what point was, was being this best second baseman in the sport not meaningful? That's different than being selected to the All-Star team. Why is it be different than being selected to the All-Star team? Because being voted as something and being something are two different things. We so, now know that Chase Utley was way better than we thought at the time. What, what do you mean, we now know that? How could he have, been, how could he have become better in... In retrospect. Because we have modern statistics that demonstrate this. Yes, but they didn't play then. So Chase Utley wasn't... I don't think Chase Utley would care. I think Chase Utley would care. He strikes me as the kind of guy... You know that Hembo's dog is named Chase. Mm -hmm. And I I told him he should rename it Nelly. Nelly Fox (laughs) is a better player. Now I'm having a fight with Chris... Now i got to have a fight with Chris Russo. Now i got to call Bob Costas because I need someone with some gravitas on my side. Let's talk about Carlos Baerga. Is this the first time that Chris Russo has selected a modern player over a long yeah, time ago? Yeah, so. I mean, this we should deal. let Stephen A. know this. I mean, he <laughs> argues with J.J. Redick about Bob Cousy versus any modern player every day. So. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we've got that now. All right, Chris Russo has waited. Do you think in. I can get Nelly Fox on first take? Like, do you think we can get that as a topic? Like, that would be the ultimate. Oh, me. I thought you meant for a minute, can we get him on as a guest? <laughs> I don't think so. What year did he die? <laughs> because, well, I mean, when Chris I mean Russo was on, you probably could get people who have, have died in the last, like, 15, 20 years. Nelly Fox died in 1975. That's a long time ago. He played a very long time ago. Yeah, he did. He would have died an old man in 1975. No, he did not. He died at 47. I, I need to look 47? I need to look in what the What did deta- he die of? I need to look in the details of this death. That's sad. Okay, one way or another, not, nothing is as sad as the fact that we are having this conversation, <laughs> particularly at a moment where, as I said, we couldn't have have more going on <laughs> in the world of sports than we do, including the start of the NBA season. Can you stick around a Please, little while? Yes, okay, absolutely. good. So we're, let me start the conversation here, then I'll be up against a break in a few minutes and we'll go. Let's start with the Giannis thing. That's where we opened our conversation on Get Up to Date. Explain to everyone why what happened yesterday was such a surprise and so important. So he basically gave the Bucks two more years. He was headed for free agency in 2025. He extends, no matter what you want to look at, three years, whatever, he's now locked in through 2027, from 25 to 27. He had already said, not sources said, on the record, 
I'm happy with the Bucks. I'm thrilled about the Dame Lillard trade. I'll extend next year. Nobody in Milwaukee was freaked out about that because him extending next year made more sense financially. It made more sense from a flexibility standpoint. It made more sense from a leverage standpoint. This deadline for him to extend was last night at midnight. There was nobody talking about this. This was like a closed issue, except for apparently Giannis, who saw, you know, I can lock in an extra $186 million. He does that. So now what he does is he removes a lot of uncertainty about this year. I know that the Bucks look great. I know that the Dame-Lillard-Giannis combination potentially should be terrific. But I also know last year they had the number one overall seed, and they lost in the first round. Yeah. And next thing you know, Giannis is saying some pretty pointed things over the summer. I know that they have a first-year head coach who's already gone sideways with his lead assistant, and he's left town. I know that Chris Middleton is coming off of a surgery and, frankly, hasn't played much and hasn't looked very good. Maybe he'll be great in, th- in three months. I know that the rest of some of their core players are in their 30s. Maybe, I also know there's like six other teams that could win the title this year, if uh, conservatively. There's 10 different ways this could go sideways this year for the Bucks without even really being anybody's quote-unquote fault. Mm-hmm. And Giannis walks in and says, let's sign this up. Hmm. Now, we live in an era, and I hate to talk about player departures, especially for a guy who's never done anything but play in Milwaukee, but we live in an era where you've always got to be careful about your star player. And it is true, whether you've got a one-year contract or a five-year contract, you're one year away from asking out. That is the reality of the modern NBA. The difference is he gets some financial security. That's easy for me to say some, $186 million. <laughs> uh-huh. but I would say so. I think he would, I, I would have taken the bet if I was an insurance company that Giannis was going to be getting that money. Two, he, he does this where if he is unhappy with the Bucks in a year, he loses leverage. This happened with Dame Lillard. Dame signed in 2022. Everything was great. I've never wanted to do anything but be a blazer. Circumstances changed. He had no leverage when it came time for him to want to leave. He ends up in Milwaukee, which he says is okay, but we know that's not where he wanted to be. Giannis, even as smiling and as happy as he was, if he played this year and it went sideways, they go out in the first round, they go out in the second round, he now has one year left on his contract, has maximum leverage because nobody is trading a bunch of stuff for him if he's not going to extend. He's got full control over where he goes. He can get that same contract a year from now. Even if the Bucks go through, win 65 games, skate to the title, at the parade he can sign the same contract. Mm. So he gives the Bucks, which is a huge win for them and a vote of confidence for their franchise. And just because I'm explaining why this is a little bit interesting from Giannis' standpoint doesn't mean I'm looking sideways at the Bucks. They did a great job. They heard this interview in August, made this happen with Lillard, made this happen with this contract. That's great work by them. But now he goes into this season having given away some leverage to get some financial security that I think was already there. So that's why I was surprised. Yeah, for sure. Now we'll talk about the impact of it and all the rest of it. We have plenty of time to dive deep into the NBA on its opening day. And we'll do it next. Wendy's in our studio on ESPN Radio. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. 
Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Greeny, the podcast. All right, Greeny with you on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. A reminder, we're also on the ESPN app. We're on SiriusXM Channel 80. You can watch us on the ESPN app. Just look up hashtag Greeny, click on watch. And find our show name uh, right now, the great Brian Windhorst in our studio. No one I enjoy talking about basketball with more uh, as the season starts tonight. And it is a season that just shapes up fabulously. So many intriguing situations. And if you're just joining us, he just sort of walked us through the significance and surprise of Giannis choosing to sign an extension with the Bucks. One of the ways I read it, Wendy, was that it was him sort of making a a show to to Dame Lillard, like, I'm in this with you. Like, I'm now signed for as long as you are. Let's be the duo. Let, let's be the duo that, frankly, he's never had. I love Drew Holiday. I think Drew Holiday is a great player, a winning player, who can give you 20 points and guard your best guy any night you need him to. But he's not Dame Lillard. And so I would ask you, that's where I'd begin. When we look at the best duos in the NBA right now, are Giannis and Dame Lillard at the top of the list? <clears throat> they could be. I can't say that now. I think Murray and Jokic have mm-hmm. set a really good standard. Mm-hmm. And remember, those guys have years together, five, six years together. Yeah. Dame and Giannis don't. Now, there's reason to believe that the way that they play and the pressure that they will take off of each other at the end of games could be really dynamic. But... Those two guys in Denver, I mean, they're in their 20s. They are healthy. They are completely confident. Like, that's the standard you're trying to, you're coming up with. And all these other groupings, whether it's, you know, LeBron and AD, like, nobody's as young with as much time together with the, with the, with the diamonds that they're going to be getting tonight as those two guys. That's, that's the standard. Yeah, the Nuggets have gone the road less traveled, and it worked enormously. They, they wound up being just completely homegrown. They got the right guys. They put it together. And, and certainly, they go into this season as the favorite to win the whole thing. Let's do the conferences one at a time. I got the sense from Legler this morning, and I think this is the general consensus, that we view the East as Milwaukee and Boston at the top, and then there's another tier below it. Is that the way you see it? Yes, I think there is some questions about whether Milwaukee can be healthy enough with a brand new coach that you're expect, that you're asking to win four playoff series, and in Milwaukee, and in Boston, Joe Missoula, he has not yet proven that he can do it at the highest level. Mm-hmm. He's got great talent, but there is some question about the two those two coaches. If you're looking for a reason uh, to be concerned about there, the two coaches now in six months, 
I may say, you know what, these guys have shown me a lot. We haven't gotten there yet. But I look at Boston, I look at their top six, it's awesome. And if it's healthy, it's primed, and their, their bench needs a little bit of uh, more development. But I think Boston, I think Boston is just going to rack off 50-some wins, 50 high 50s. I think they're going to be great. What are the numbers saying about the Eastern Conference? Hembo. So the favorite to win the conference is Milwaukee. They're $1.60. And then the Celtics are plus 175 The Sixers are then third at 8-1. to one. So it's, like a, it's pretty clear, like Vegas says, this is a collision course. No disrespect, of course, to the Heat, who always seem to wind up here, it seems like. They're 12-1 to one if you like them, but there's a pretty big talent gap there. This year, perhaps more than ever before. Yeah, so the thing about the Sixers, they were so close last year. They were, I know you know him, but it pains I me. mean, I, I'm sitting in the building in Philly. It's, well, James it's Harden could make a shot or was willing to give the ball to Joel Embiid. Well, or Embiid they would have won make, game six. Or Embiid could make a shot. Embiid, you know, Embiid's the MVP. I know he was banged up a little bit. But didn't he it, not take a shot? I'm trying to remember this. We did the game. We had t- that game six. One shot didn't he not take a shot in the, four, like the last six minutes of game six when they had the lead at home and were ready to knock out the Celtics? No, that sounds right. I'll, I'll pull up the stat line. But yes, I mean, game seven, I thought was definitely a Joel Embiid sort of indictment no show. But game Six was the game to win in Philly at home. But when they lost game six, that series was over. It's a 50 50 game on your home court. You have the MVP. They have to win that game. You know, Tatum was what, two of 17 Mm -hmm. or something like that? Mm -hmm. You've got to win that game. And if they win that game, they're in the conference finals against the Heat, which I like that matchup. And if they play the Nuggets, they have the supreme matchup for Jokic. I'm, I'm not handing them you know, nine wins they didn't get, but I'm saying that, like, it wasn't like they were a golf away, which Mm -hmm. is one of the reasons why I think. Harden should have come back, and they should have run it back, and why I'm not ruling them out. Not that I think the Harden's going to come back, but I do think that if they could have a winning Harden trade, which... What does that looks, mean? Yeah. What, 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 what are you getting back that is winning? Well, I don't know the player. I don't know the trade, but I know that they did with Simmons two years ago. They ended up winning that situation. Now, long-term, it's been problematic, but they, you would have argued two years ago as we were sitting here with where Ben Simmons was, you'd have said, well, they're never going to get out of this. Mm-hmm. They're either going to eat this contract, this guy's going to show up and be miserable, or they're going to have to make an awful trade. Daryl Morey ended up winning. It took him months, but he ended up winning it. And so that's why he's sitting here now. So give Philly a chance to try to win that trade, and let's see where the odds are then. So winning the trade is one thing, but also appeasing Joel Embiid is another. So I view these things as happening on like sort of separate tracks. Like Daryl Morey, I think, is going to go to the Hall of Fame someday. We've argued about this, but regardless, like because he is this cold, calculated, like, sort of data-driven, numbers-crunching GM wonder type, like that type. But Joel Embiid, he's the one that whose legacy is going to stick to this stuff. He's never even played in a conference finals before, and their best shot may have just come and gone. What could, what could Daryl Morey possibly do? given the set of circumstances right now, to appease Joel Embiid so that Philly fans aren't terrified that he's going to go to the New York Knicks? I don't have an ironclad answer for you, just like I didn't have an ironclad answer two years ago that said he was going to get James Harden in four months. I will say that what I think he's trying to do is he's trying to flip Harden for draft picks and maybe a player they can trade to a draft pick, and then they get to later on in the season, they take those draft picks and flip them into a player. That's what he's trying to do because that's the hand he's holding right now. But it's possible that we get to December or January and the profile of the situation has changed. I've just been around long enough to know that you can't predict NBA player availability months in advance. So there we have the situation at the very top of the East. Then you have the rest of the group. So we know Boston and Milwaukee. And barring something stunning, they'll both be really good. The Sixers are going to figure out their situation. And then you have kind of everybody else. Miami keeps finding ways to win. 
The Knicks are good. They're not great. The Cavaliers are good. They're not great. Who else should we be paying attention to? Which team in the Eastern Conference should we be paying attention to? I'm not excited about any of them on that level. I mean, I'll respect Miami. Miami, in my view, has gotten mildly worse because as they were waiting for Dame Lillard, they let some role players go. Now, one thing I'll say about Miami, they always get the most out of their team, and they have the assets to make a big trade. Maybe they make a big trade in January. But as we sit here right now, I think there's a gulf between those teams and Miami. Uh, I mean, the Knicks fans I know are excited about being, it almost feels like they're the team with some stability, which whoever would have thought we'd hear ourselves say that, but they've got a roster. They've been together. They're core parts. They got a sort of a nothing. I mean, I'm just you know, looking right at your face. You're giving me nothing. You, the, the money has poured in on the Knicks under. The Knicks, um, I was looking at the numbers a couple days ago. I'll pull the them Knicks, now. The Knicks are 45 and a half. Is there uh, over under? The money is pouring in on the under. Heavy. The, the, the most negative odds you can bet, at least two days ago, were, was Knicks under because so much money is coming out. There doesn't seem to be a lot of belief that the Knicks are going to back up with another good season. Although, I don't necessarily believe that because I do think their stability means something. And I do think they can win in the mid-40s again. It's just that there doesn't seem to be a lot of excitement about right. it. Right. Well, I'm not sure what makes them worse than they were a year ago. There's, there's nothing about what they did a year ago that isn't replicable. They've basically put together the 2016 Villanova Wildcats, um, and we'll see how that goes. You have that number? Should I jump to the West? It's, no, it's 45 and a half still. Um, and, and it was a 47-win team. Here's the thing with, with the NBA over-unders. Like, you got to remember who's going to play and who cares about it. That's why, I don't, that's why I wouldn't bet the under on the Knicks, because you know Thibodeau's going to play his guys. And those guys are going to play 75 I wouldn't games bet the under because it's a horrible bet right now. Sure, that too. <laughs> well, let me ask you this then, because I brought this up, and I have been one who has been talking about this a lot for years, basically since it first became a thing, is the whole resting, and now you know we've got the terminology for it and all that kind of stuff. Um, Adam Silver and Joe Dumars came out recently, and we're talking about how they're working with the union on establishing an 82-game mindset. They've tried to put this tournament in early in the year. We'll see how that's received, but it's another way of trying to bring a little more pep to the, to the regular season or the, what has traditionally been the regular season in the NBA. Do you expect there to be a noticeable uptick of the number of games that players play? We'll see, because the instant that they announced the rules, was instantly teams talking about, well, here's the 11 different ways we're going to get around this. People are talking about Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard is not the canary in the coal mine. He is exempt because he's coming. You know, there's, there's an exception for a player like him who's had. Yeah, he's legitimately hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so what, you know, the timeline of events was they announced the policy. Adam Silver comes and addresses the media and he's kind of wishy-washy in my view. All these teams start talking amongst themselves. Oh, yeah, we can do this, 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 and this. Then they call a press conference with Joe Dumars. He wasn't walking out of LaGuardia and TMZ caught him. They called a press conference, and then Joe Dumars brought the hammer. And Joe Dumars says the data doesn't support this, you know, and all this stuff. So that leads me to believe, because Joe Dumars is going to be the guy deciding a lot of this, that they do intend to sort of bring the hammer down early in the regular season to set a tone. That said, that's where it's going to be determined. And again, there's a whole bunch of things that are caveats. For example, Victor Wembanyama is one of the most interesting things we have in the NBA right now. We know he's you know, an injury risk. We know the Spurs are super protective. The policy doesn't, appeal to him, doesn't apply to him because it only applies to players who have been all-stars or all-NBA players in recent years. He's a rookie. So the Spurs could hold Victor Wembanyama out of a bunch of games, potentially even TV games, that would upset the league, 
and they might get a call, but he doesn't, the policy doesn't apply to him. So, like, you know, the, the, there are ways to get around it. The question is, now, the Clippers have been probably the team that's been focused on most, and they have come out and said, we're going to care about the regular season this year. But a lot of things get said in October that don't matter in February. So we'll see. Greeny and Wendy in our studio here, just out as good as anybody is talking hoops as we get ready for the start of the season. We did the East. Let's do the West. The Nuggets are clearly the favorite to run it back this year. They're the best team. They did have some losses, but if they have Jokic and Murray, they remain the team to beat. Um, are the Lakers of LeBron James and Anthony Davis better suited to give them at least well I shouldn't say who cares if they give them a battle they got swept by them in the conference final a year ago can LeBron's Lakers beat them this year maybe um the thing is like there's some really good teams in the west but there's some really good teams in the west so that so like like there were years you remember when the Golden State Warriors were churning through they went 12 and 0 in the west playoffs there was nobody to test them because these, these 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 it was lopsided now the distribution of talent is remarkable. So I look at the Lakers and I go, man, they got AD, they got LeBron. They got Austin Reeves, who's better than anybody thought. They've got size. They've got quickness. They can play fast. They can play big. They can play small. They can play quick. They can play slow. What a well-designed depth team that was in the conference finals last year. And then I look at Phoenix, Golden State, Clippers, Nuggets, Heck, I don't think that the Mavericks are going to come roaring back, but you have to respect their talent. The, the Timberwolves are a team that you can't ignore. The depth at the top end in the West is so hard that even though the Lakers are better, they could have a much better season this year and get knocked out before the conference finals, not because they screwed up, but because the competition level is that way. You didn't mention, I know this isn't probably top of most people's minds, but you didn't mention the Pelicans there, which I don't know if that was an oversight. or I mean, you're just rattling teams off the top of your head. Should we be expecting to see Zion Williamson? Because candidly, when he plays, they don't lose much. Two things with the Pelicans. One, Zion has never proven he can be healthy. Right. So if he proves he can be healthy, we'll, we'll talk about it in a few months. Secondly, they are a team that has big-time shooting concerns. They weren't able to get better in shooting. And then their best shooter, one of the best shooters in the league, Trey Murphy, hurt his knee head surgery. He's out for two to three months. So they have got to approve. And again, every single night, they're going up against a real challenge. I think... They're a team to watch. I think the Thunder are a team to watch, especially if Chet Holmgren is as good as advertised. To me, if you ask me, I would appointment view every Chet Holmgren-Victor Wembanyama game. These guys genuinely do not like each other. Hmm. They're freaks. And I'm not just talking about because they're tall. They're freak. We've never seen guys this tall, this skilled. People say Ralph Sampson. I wasn't around. If Ralph Sampson was this good, I haven't seen those highlights. But okay, I'll give it that. But there's two of them who came into the league then. So those two teams, New Orleans and Oklahoma City, could crash the party if they're healthy. Sampson was a different player. He, he may have had the physical skill set to do what these guys do. You just would never have asked him to. They, they just didn't play the game that way. He, he was that tall, and I think he was that athletic. They just they would never have had him you know, handling the ball the way those guys do and, and doing all the things those guys do. They didn't even play defense the way they play defense in the NBA now. How, how about Memphis? Like the the, the jaw thing, like what, what's going to happen Huge with that? Huge question mark. Huge question mark. I, I, I really can't even – they are now down. Steven Adams is out for the season. Yeah. Brandon Clark, who another key player for them, out for the season. Jaron Jackson Jr. is Defensive Player of the Year but has demonstrated if you have to play him at center, he is not effective. So – 
They are not only down jaw 25 games, they are decimated in the big man spots and asking Jaron Jackson to do a lot. Um, I respect their team a lot. I respect their coach. I respect their organization. They're sort of on the list, but it's very hard for me to take them in that top four at this point. They can absolutely storm their way in and prove me wrong. Desmond Bain had off-season surgery on his foot. Seems like he's back. He's going to play a big role in the season. Obviously, Marcus Smart has a championship-style mentality, but the, the competition level is so tough. The margin of error for them is much smaller. What do you have, Hembo? Well, I, I'm very curious about the, the discourse around John Morant because like, when, he's, when he's John Morant, he is as electric. I mean, this is a player who I think could someday win an MVP based on what we see on the court, but the, the missteps last year were so, so pronounced and so avoidable. Like, do you get the sense in talking to people close there that – that we're going to see a version of him on the court and in this life that we can uh, depend upon? Or, or, or are we worried about sort of repeat offenses here, I guess is my question. The only thing I'm worried about with John on the court is getting hurt. Everything else about his game is you, you fall in love with it. Mm-hmm. But the way he plays, he's susceptible to injury. I don't think that's uh, stepping out there. Off the court, it's hard to know because he has said things and done another multiple times. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, Will he say things and do certain things? I mean, in, in the case of John Morant, I can't, at this point, I cannot take him at his word. Mm. I've got to take him at what his actions are. And it's just, it's very worrisome. The NBA needs him so badly. Mm-hmm. He is such an electric talent. He is a guy who could have stepped in for a guy like Steph Curry and replaced that type of player. We, as a company at ESPN, need John Morant to be great. Mm-hmm. The NBA needs John Morant to be great. Everybody's invested in it. I don't know if he's as invested in it. That's an open question still. Let's do a couple of quickies here. LeBron, <clears throat> pardon me, LeBron or Steph Curry, who has a better chance to win at least one more ring the rest of their careers? Boy, it's a great question. I, I think LeBron, because I think the Lakers are a little better positioned. The Warriors have more top-end talent, but the Lakers are built out a little bit better. But, boy, it's... It's Anthony Davis's health is what it really comes down to. If things don't go well for the Celtics this year, will they finally break up those two guys? I think they're going to give it this year and next because two years from now is when they got to pay both those guys huge money. Look, if they go to the playoffs and like they clearly don't work, but I think the Celtics have a two-year window here, this season and next season, where they're going for it. They're going for it salary-wise, the way they're, they're, they've made their decisions. That's what it looks like. And by the way, they've already been contenders for the last couple of years. Yeah. This is a real end of a window they're looking at. Right One now. more quickie. Luka plus Kyrie this year will equal what? I'll want to watch them, but I don't know if they have the makeup as a whole roster to, to make this work. They haven't really been able to surround those guys with the supporting cast. They've tried to make trades. They sort of dip their toe into some of these players who have been available. They don't have the artillery needed because of how much they traded for Kyrie Irving. Wendy, you're the best. Looking forward to getting this thing started. I'll see you tomorrow night. We've got to make a plan for, sure. for that. I, I will miss all of this this year, um, You know, not being as much in the middle of it as I have been the last two, but uh, Malika will be spectacular, and I will be watching uh, from this seat and commenting like crazy. In the meantime, the NFL is looking into something I find fascinating, and we'll get into that next on ESPN Radio. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. 
You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Greeny, the podcast. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio. Can I just say one last thing about my exchange with Chris Russo today? Mm. Once again, if you're just joining us, for reasons that are far too sad to dive into, Hembo and I got into a disagreement over who was a greater second baseman, Chase Utley or Nellie Fox, which again is something only the two of us could possibly be interested in. And, and because he's maybe the third person who would be interested, I texted Chris Russo and he gave us an answer. I just want to sort of sum all that up by saying that my entire exchange with Cruz Russo, he and I have not texted each other in five months, was me saying, who is a greater player, Nellie Fox or Chase Utley? With no context, he wrote back, that's a good one. Probably Utley, more power. And that's it. <laughs> We're just going to leave it there. There will be no, further, be no follow-up. He will not find that a strange thing to have happened, and we'll talk to each other again in five months. The, that was our whole exchange. The best part about it was... That's a good one. That's a good one. Because no one else would have said that. No, that's a terrible one. Anyone else you wrote that to would say, why the hell are you asking that's me this? That's a good one. What is the matter with you? That's a good one. <laughs> it really is. Okay, we, we've spent much too much time on that. Let's get to something that actually matters now. The Scoop. All right. Who among us was not upset about the Bijan Robinson thing over the weekend? Bijan, fantasy superstar. Bijan, draft kings. Like the second most expensive running back that you can get on a weekend, week out basis. Bijan, dressed but not playing? And as you're watching the game, you're thinking, is he being disciplined for something? Like, did he miss a meeting? Like, that kind of thing happens sometimes, right? I remember there was a game, I think Julian Edelman got benched for the first quarter by Belichick because he was making fun of Rex with feet stuff. Remember what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. So that stuff happens. So we're all wondering what's going on. Then we start finding out he's not feeling well. He's not feeling well. And he did go in the game, but he barely played. And his stats were, I should have had them in front of me. What, what did he do? He played 11 snaps, had one touch for three yards. So he, he, he was a non-factor for a guy who is a difference maker in every way. And I don't even know what the props were for him that day, but I'm sure there were hundreds of thousands of dollars bet on him to rush for this many yards or have this many receptions or touchdowns, whatever it is. So the NFL is now asking injury report compliance questions to the Falcons about when they knew Bijan wasn't physically well and why it wasn't reported per league policy. It is standard practice for the league to question teams about a player if he is not included on the weekly injury report and then is either unavailable for the game or plays far less than what typically occurs. Violations have been met with fines. What do we think of that, Hembo? I think this is a much bigger deal than it is being made out to be. If, if, if nothing except for the fact that we can use this as an example of if the NFL wants to operate in the 21st century with the obsession around the country with gambling and with fantasy, then it needs to wrap its arms around it entirely. Because I don't think it's a stretch to, a stretch to say that hundreds of thousands of dollars changed hands on Sunday because of this. And if the public doesn't have access to this information, well, that's a disgrace. Or at minimum, it's something that needs to be remedied. The NFL is making 
millions and over the course of time, billions of dollars over people going on their apps and saying that I think B. John Robinson is going to exceed 65 rushing yards today. But the public doesn't have the knowledge that it needs to have and the trust that the NFL needs to have with its fans and with its gambling partners. Um, and and, and when, when something like this happens, it's just an example of why, obviously, that's not occurring to the extent to which it should. To me, this is a good example of the league needs to get its arms around this quick. It no, really does. Yeah. Okay. Yes and no. I'm, I'm going to disagree to some degree because whether this is spoken or not, there's always an element of beware when it comes to things like this. I used to jokingly say on the air, every player is questionable, and you could put in parentheses next to his name, destiny. You just never know what may happen. Did he practice Wednesday? Yes. Did he practice fully Thursday? Yes. Does he seem fully healthy? Yes. Could he get hit by a bus tomorrow? I mean, things happen. So in this case with an illness, I... I, I I've not done enough digging into this, but what is perfectly plausible is that he ate something the night before. He was up sick all night long. He was still not feeling well, whatever the case may be. We've all been there. He got dressed. He was going to try and give it a go, but just did not feel up to it. What are you supposed to do about that? Like, how, how are you supposed to inform the public mm-hmm. that something like that has happened. That is a perfectly reasonable thing to happen. It happens. And Michael Jordan's flu game is so famous because under most circumstances, Michael Jordan would have played far fewer minutes and done far less than he normally does if he spent the entire day throwing up. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that that's why the game is so well-known because he overcame that. So Bijan Robinson didn't have a flu game on Sunday, and now people are mad. I understand the investigation because if they knew this on Friday, then that's one thing. But you can get sick very shortly before a game starts, and I'm not sure what anyone's going to do about it. Yeah, he, he said that he's begun feeling, feeling ill sometime on, on Saturday. Look, life happens. Like, I get that. Like, and, and there's no reason for me to be outraged over something that is not outrageous. And you seem outraged. Because I think it's a good example of we need to make sure that there is as much public trust in this as possible. Of course. That's all. And in this case, if there was information that was being withheld, that's unacceptable. And I think the NFL needs to be acutely aware and its, sentence, and its senses heightened to, to, to the possibility that this could happen and to preventing it from happen, happening in the future, if at all possible, with the provision potentially, if you've put money on such a thing, that you have the ability to get your refund uh, if something like this does happen. Here's, here's where I'll meet you. When it comes to teams withholding things based on trying to maintain some competitive advantage, then yes. Mm-hmm. When it comes to, and I think you just put it well, life happening I just don't think you're ever going to be able to do that. And while this is unspoken, I think everyone has to be aware of that. There is always the chance. Look, Bijan Robinson could have also turned his ankle on the second play, and that can always happen. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand that it isn't the same thing, but you always know in every game, particularly football, that injuries happen 100% of the time, and he might be prevented from getting 65 rushing yards mm-hmm. on the second play of the Look, game. Look, we have the injury reports for a reason, and what I would say is if, if this was a nothing, then the NFL wouldn't be investigating it. But the NFL is, and that's because I think people in the NFL probably feel the same way that I just articulated, which yeah. is... Or they're worried that people are going to come at them on this. Right. I, you're not wrong. Nothing you're saying is wrong. But what I'm saying is I don't think there is a perfect solution to this 
because you're asking for everyone to be able to you know, sign a piece of paper mm-hmm. that morning says I'm I you know I'm 100% healthy right now and and most of the time or some of the time those circumstances change. All right, good luck to your Phillies tonight. God bless you Nelly Fox. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> For listening to Greeny the podcast, you can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio, or watch the show through the Watch tab on the ESPN app. Also, catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at eight on ESPN, and also available wherever you get your podcast.